I didn't want to get all eaten. So I had these garden boxes, and I was like, okay, I'm going to try a garden. So I planted a variety of things. I got to plant purple carrots because I got my seeds late. So of course, the only thing left were purple carrots, and they turned out really good. I have a cool picture of... Um, yeah, I'm eating a purple carrot. My kids are so embarrassed by this picture. They're like, Mom, seriously? But I was so happy I grew my own carrot, and it was purple. How cool is that? So anyway, so my carrots turned out good, but then I planted my squash by my cucumbers. And I'll tell you, the cucumbers got squashed because there was no cucumbers and tons of squash, right? And then I planted some... Uh, beans and peas by the fence and they apparently it was not good soil right there and so basically you got to see these little green things about this big and then they died so the next year i was like okay i'm gonna take a risk and try this one more time so the cucumbers got their own box and the squash got their own box and i got orange carrots and look at i actually grew stuff see look look at that yeah, I have strawberries and corn. Look at how big that carrot is. There's actually, oh, there's a cucumber up there. Anyway, it actually worked. I was like, I'm going to take a risk because risk-taking is not easy for me, okay? I have a fear of failure at times, many times. So taking a risk and failing the first time at having very many things grow and then trying to decide if I was going to do it again, I was like, okay, what are people going to think if I can't grow anything again? Or what am I going to do if, if um, only one thing grows again? And I just had this, like, fear of what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'm just going to take a risk. I'll try it again. I don't understand how seeds grow, okay? All I know is you plant them, you water them, you get rid of the weeds, and the seed does the rest. God does the rest, right? And I thought to myself, okay, maybe there's a lesson here right? A lesson about seeds. And we know that there's a story in the Bible where Jesus talks about seeds, right? He talks about the sower that goes out and sows seeds. And in Mark 4 is where one of those, um, one of his parables is. And so we have a farmer that sows seeds like this. We don't sow seeds like this much anymore, but they just, you know, had a bucket and they would just throw seeds and wherever they landed. And some would land on the path and the thorns and in the weeds and some would land on good soil, and he was just going to throw the seed out there. Now, when Jesus is talking about this parable, he says, you know, some land on the path, and the birds come and eat it up. I think that's like our fear, right? Fear comes and robs us right away of any truth that is spoken, because the enemy knows that if he can get us in fear, we are not going to let that root take hold. Then there were some that fell on the rocks, and then the trials of life came up, and got, it got pushed away. The faith got pushed away. And then there was the seed that fell on the thorns. And the worries of this world squeezed out the hope and squeezed out the truth. And then there was the seed that fell on the good soil, that it was able to take root, and it was able to grow strong. And every person has the choice what kind of soil they're going to be, right? Now, this is what Jesus had just got, got done talking about in Mark chapter 4. Jesus was actually on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and he was preaching to all these people that had come to watch. 
and come to listen. Now, he was speaking on a boat, because I can think about why would you go on a boat to speak? Well, for one thing, he probably felt a little crowded, and he needed a little space. And not only that, they didn't have microphones like this back then, and there was a lot of people listening. So, if he was on the boat, his voice would carry over the water, and more people could listen to him. So he had been speaking for a while. Let's pick up in uh, Matthew, or no, sorry, Mark 4, verse 35. It says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. Okay, so the disciples were in the boat with Jesus. They had just heard this message about the seeds. And now Jesus was going to give them a chance to live out what they had just heard. Do you ever, get, do you ever have that opportunity? You're like, God, just teach me about patience. There you go. Here's a chance, right? Here's a chance to live out what I'm trying to tell you. So this is what's going to happen to the disciples. Now, the disciples had been on this boat, and it says, as evening came. So Jesus had probably been talking for quite some time. I'm sure that the disciples... We're like, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go put my feet up. It's been a long day out on the water. People have been asking, people everywhere. I'm just ready for a break. And then Jesus says, let's go the other side of, to the, of the lake. And they're like, okay, that's not what I had planned. I know for me, when I have my plans changed, it is not very fun. I know exactly what my day is going to look like, and I know exactly all the things I'm going to get on my checklist, and then a kid gets sick. Or there's an accident. Or someone calls and really needs to talk. And all of a sudden, my plans are out the window, and I have to go with what is before me. You know, sometimes we get the choice what we get to do. We get the choice on obeying, and sometimes the choice is our response to what happens, right? We don't always get to choose what happens, but we get to choose our response to the things that God brings our way and the situations that come up. So not only do the disciples have a change of plans that now they have to go across the sea of Galilee, let's look at what happens next in verse 37. But soon a fierce storm came up, High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Great. Thanks, Jesus. We are ready to go home, and now we're in a storm. Okay? Now, the Sea of Galilee is actually known for for having violent, sudden storms. And the fishermen would have known this. Like, yes, they were fishermen. Yes, they were used to being out on the water. But the Sea of Galilee, because I am not a meteorologist, but it's something about the warm air coming down and, you know, causing a storm. And it can be really scary, and it can be really violent. And really, most of the time back then, they didn't know how to swim. So going out across the Sea of Galilee was a huge risk. And now they were in a storm. Isn't it interesting that in their obedience, they still got a storm? Sometimes we think, if I obey, everything's going to be fine. There's not going to be a storm. 
And we look at Jonah's life and we're like, okay, so he disobeyed, so he deserved a storm. But here we see the disciples. They are listening. They are obeying exactly what Jesus says. And they get a violent storm where they are scared to death. What are we going to do? And isn't it interesting that Jesus was with them? He was there, and he still let them struggle. That doesn't seem very fair. Because just because there's a struggle doesn't mean that God is not with us. And sometimes we correlate. If I'm struggling, where's God? But here we see the disciples. They are in a struggle. They are in a storm. And Jesus is right there with them. Because in the midst of our storm, in the midst of our struggle, is where we learn more about Jesus is where our faith has to choose to take root. Do you know the biggest trees? Do you know the trees that, you know, we see the big trees around Helena, and they, you know, they're so strong? Do you know what makes those trees so strong? Do you know what makes their roots grow down deep? All the wind and the rain and the storms, because the wind's blowing, and they have to dig their roots down deep. That's what makes them so strong. Because it is in the struggle that we learn more about our God. And we learn what our, where our faith is built. And when those storms come, we have the choice. Are we going to be, let our faith be like that on the rocks? Where we're in a storm and the rocks come and all the worries and all of the fears. And our roots can't grow down deep. Or are we going to choose to push through the storm, push through the hard time, and let our roots grow really deep so that our faith can be firm and our faith can be strong. We get to choose between letting our faith be in the rocks or letting our faith grow roots. And it is our, cho our choice. Think about your own life. When has your faith grown the most? When everything was easy? Not for me. My faith definitely grew the most, grows the most when I am in challenging circumstances. When I do not understand how I'm going to make it through. When life is not fair and I have to say, blessed be your name, I don't understand. I'm going to choose to follow your word. I'm going to choose to obey even when I don't get it. And I'm going to choose to worship in the midst of my storm. That is when our faith grows the most, and it takes the deepest root. So they woke Jesus up, and they're like, don't you care that we are going to die? In verse 39, it says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly, the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the winds and the waves obey him. So Jesus wakes up, he speaks a word, and it's calm. And what do the disciples learn in that moment? 
They learn about the authority of Jesus. Because they went through the storm, they learned something about Jesus' character, that he is a God of authority and power. They learn about his character. You know, I've told you that I, I went through a very hard divorce, and I will tell you that it was in the midst of that storm of my life when I got to know something new about God's character. I got to see him as my provider, I got to see him as my strength. I got to see him as my protector. And yeah, the storm was no fun. But I'll tell you, learning that characteristic about God made my faith grow so much deeper. It is always our choice what we do with the storms of our life. So Jesus just calms the storm. They made it through that. They learned about his character. And now they get to the other side. They just risked their lives. And this is what they get. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by the evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Seriously? Is this the day that never ends? Right? This is the day that you're like, seriously, can it get any worse? We had to sit in a boat all day. We're exhausted. We go through a storm. And now we get the crazy man? Like, Jesus, come on. What are you doing? This is not fair. And this man comes at them who's hopeless, who's rejected, who's lonely, who's cutting himself, who just wants to escape. This man who has no hope comes at them and says, who are you? What I love, and I don't know why I get surprised, but 2,000 years ago, Jesus took his disciples in a boat, risked their lives to cross the sea to come to that man. In his loneliness, in his rejection, in his fear, Jesus came to him. Do you know that's the same Jesus that's right now that we have? Because every one of us in this room have a thing or a way that we escape life, a way that we feel rejected or we feel lonely, or we want to be in control, or we have fears, and we think no one sees. We wonder how we're going to make it through. When Jesus came to this man, 
Jesus wasn't intimidated. This man wasn't too much. He wasn't too much for Jesus. Jesus didn't come to him with judgment and shame. If that's how he came to this man, that's how he comes to you. He comes to you saying, I see you. I know your struggle. I know your loneliness. I know your fears. I know your heartache and your grief. Some of us are in prisons, emotional prisons of perfectionism, <laughs> procrastination. There's people that struggle with self-harm. We have control issues. And we think there's no way. Why would God see me? And some of us, we think we're too ordinary. What would God see in me? I'm just a person. What would God see in me? I want to tell each and every one of you that Jesus knows your name. And Jesus sees you, and he comes to you because he loves you, and you are not too much for Jesus. Names are really important. And when God knows our name, how amazing is that? In the next verse, it says, When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Now we could think like, Wow, this guy knew who Jesus was. But back then, there was a superstition that if you knew someone's whole name, you had power over them. Kind of like when we're in trouble as kids, right? And our parents say our whole name, right? We're like, oh, I'm in trouble. Like, <laughs> they have some power. They have some beef with me, whatever, right? So when this man said, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He knew the right words to say but it doesn't mean that's where his heart was. Because even the demons believe and tremble, but they don't honor God. It's kind of like in my yard, I have these um, pretty white flowers. Apparently they're weeds disguised as flowers, and I'm like told I have to get rid of them. And I'm like, but they're so pretty, right? But the thing is, is that something can look really good and say all the right things, but not be what it really is looking, what it's trying to look like. So we see that this man comes and he says, Jesus, son of the most high God, what do you want with me? Let's look at verse 9. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion because there are many of us inside this man. Now, did Jesus really need to ask his name? No, Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew this man. So why did he say, what is your name? Probably because when he wanted to have, he wanted to show that he has control and he has power. But there is also power in confession. He wanted these demons that were speaking to confess exactly who they were. Because once we have, 
Once we confess, that is when healing and freedom can start coming into our lives. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because it is with confession that we get that promise of forgiveness. We get that promise that we are going to have our slates wiped clean. So the spirits had no choice. When Jesus said, what is your name? They had to confess who they were. And once that truth was spoken, freedom was on the way. I'm just going to summarize the next few verses. So they say, uh, he says, I'm, the demons say, I'm legion. What do you want with us, right? And so they're like, don't, they know who Jesus is. And they're like, don't send us out of the region. Send us into those pigs. So Jesus casts the, the demons into the pigs. And the pigs run off the cliff and all drowned. Right? A lot of them, like 5,000 of them. Okay, that is going to cause a commotion in the neighborhood. People are going to want to know what is going on, right? And I will tell you, people are going to come running. News is going to spread fast. Oh my gosh, the whole herd is gone. Who is this man? What is he doing? We want to see with our own eyes. And then there's this man who was the crazy man of the town, sitting in his right mind. Yeah, people are going to want to see that. What is going on? Let's pick up in verse 17. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. What? Why? Jesus just came and healed this man who'd been a problem in the community. Obviously, he'd been a problem in the community. He was banished to the cemetery, to the burial hills. They tried to chain him up. No one could hold him. He's the problem of the community. And now he's better. And he's healed. And they want Jesus to leave. Why? What else could he do? What else could he do in me? If he did that, what else is there? And that's pretty scary. Because when we are getting close to Jesus, there are certain things we want him to change in us. But there are some things we don't want him to touch. Because we are comfortable with it. Or we like it. Or we say, God, come in and change my marriage. He really needs a lot of help. And we don't want to see what I need to do. Or we say, Jesus, come in. Help me to be a forgiving person. And then God says, I want you to start being more generous. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't talk about money to me. Mm. No, I said about forgiveness, not about money. Right? Because when Jesus comes in and Jesus is there, he brings light to our lives. And that is scary sometimes because we like our secrets. We like the things nobody knows. So these people have this Jesus come and heal the crazy man. And they're like, 
get out of here. Please leave us. What else are you going to do? They're more comfortable in the dark than in the light. And yet Jesus planted a seed of light in this man. So what do you think this man wants to do? Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And wouldn't you? Right? I'd be like, please take me with you. Don't leave me here with all these people. Don't leave me here with what I have experienced and how terrible my life has been. I want to go with you. Please let me go with you. I know that's what I'd want to do. In verse 19, but Jesus said no. What? Jesus said no? Jesus said no to this man? You ever gotten a no from Jesus? Or a wait? Or I'm going to do something different? Just wait and see? Or actually, that is not what's best for you. You think it is? When we get a no from Jesus, it can be like, what? Remember me? Here I am. And this man was like, what? You just healed me. You just gave me hope and freedom. And now you're telling me I can't go with you? But what does Jesus continue to say? But Jesus said, no. Go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Wait, what? Wait, what? You, 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 want, you want me to go back to those people? The people that put me out here? The people that are begging you to leave? And you want me to go back to them? Really? But it says in verse 20, So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he had told them. Why could he do that? Because he was good soil. Because that little seed of light had planted in his heart. And he suddenly had hope. And he realized, I don't want my suffering to be for nothing. He had a change in his heart after incredible suffering. And after incredible rejection, he was rejected. After cutting himself, trying to get release from the emotions inside of him, suddenly he had hope. So he obeyed. Now, it would have been a risk for him. For one, he was probably introverted. He had been alone for a long time. And he was now like, wait, you want me to go speak to a whole bunch of people? Do you realize I've been alone for a long time? <laughs> Not only that, but he had had so many judgments about him. 
for years and years. It would require vulnerability. It would require a risk of what are people going to say. But he did it. This morning, Blake shared with me about his son. His son, Randy, who made a choice years ago to change some behaviors in his life. And Blake shared with me that at his last meeting, there were two women there who said, if it wasn't for Randy, we wouldn't be here today. Right? Because Randy took a risk and he shared the hope and the peace that he had inside of him. And it impacted these two women who would not be there if it wasn't for him. When we are brave enough to take a risk and be vulnerable and share that hope that is within us, miracles happen. People's lives are touched. So this man took the seed that was inside of him and he obeyed and went to a very risky place. Back to the people who wanted Jesus to leave. And then Mark verse five, chapter 5, verse 21 says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side. Wait a minute. Jesus risked his disciples' lives to cross a stormy sea for one guy, and then he left? What? He would go through all of that for one guy? Jesus had thrown out lots of seed. Lots of seeds of light. Only one person responded. Was it a waste? Did he waste his time? Did he waste the risk for his disciples? Think about what the disciples learned through this. Sorry, I don't know why this is doing this. Think about what the disciples learned. They learned about his authority over the wind and the waves. They learned about his authority and compassion for people. It was not a waste. Not only that, but Jesus went for this one man, and then there was a ripple effect. And all of a sudden, he became a missionary in the ten towns because he risked for one person. Lives were changed. And not only that, this man now became a sower. He's going to sow the truth. He's going to sow hope. Because Jesus risked for one person. Angie's going to come up and play some music for me. I want you to think about your life. Is there one person 
Is there someone who risked telling you about Jesus? Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, but your parents still had to go against culture, still had to go against what, thing, what was being said to raise you in a Christian home. Maybe you lived most of your life without Jesus, and then someone came and shared the hope that they had with you. Maybe someone was praying for you. Oh, aren't you so thankful that someone risked to tell you the truth. Now, each of us have a story of hope, don't we? And what are we going to do with that story of hope, that seed of hope that has been planted in us? Will you be a sower? Will you sow your seeds of hope? There's no guarantee how people will will respond. There's not. And I'm not saying we need to go and shove it down their throats. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. Be the kindness of God. And take opportunities when they're presented to show and be that hope to people. It's our responsibility to sow, and it's other people's responsibility what their response is going to be. But our job is to be sowers of light. Now, sometimes we can feel like we've missed opportunities to do that. I had a dear friend, and he had... um, He was actually a student that lived in our house for a while. And he had kind of made some poor decisions, gotten involved in things that he shouldn't have. Then he got caught. He was in and out of jail and in and out of treatments. And God kept telling me, I want you to write him a letter. I didn't do it. And suddenly he was hit by a car and he died. And I went to the hospital that night and I watched his mom and his dad. And I'm so thankful that he had a praying mom and a praying dad. But I'll tell you, I said to myself, I do not want to miss an opportunity again. When my dad's sister, her name's Linda, was diagnosed with cancer, and I don't know, I didn't know where her faith was. I I had never known her to be a woman of faith. I have no idea. But God impressed on me, you need to write her a letter. I was like, I'm not missing that opportunity again. What she did with the letter, the only thing she ever said to me was thank you for the letter. What happened is not my responsibility. My responsibility was being obedient to what God was telling me. So if you're here and you're like, but I've missed an opportunity with this person. I didn't get to tell them. Take the next one. Be obedient with what God is telling you about sowing your seed of hope and life.
there's some of you here today that need a little hope. You're like, does God see me? It doesn't matter our ages. It doesn't matter what we've been through. We can all be in a place, anyone at any time, that says, God, I need to know that you're real. I feel like I'm in a hopeless situation. I'm in grief. I don't know what to do. I don't know what decision to make. And I want to tell you that God sees you. He sees you and he knows your name. He risked to cross a stormy sea for one. And he's risking right now and saying, I see you. You are loved. You are known. I know your name. Jesus does for us today what he did for that man 2,000 years ago. And it doesn't matter our circumstances, whether we're far from God, whether we're putting on a good show for people, whether we feel too ordinary or too messed up. He knows your name. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I thank you that we have the example of you crossing the sea for one man because you knew his name and you wanted to bring him hope. Father God, I pray for each person here, no matter where we are in life, no matter what seed of hope, what you want us to do with the seed of hope, whether you want us to be thankful for it, give it away, or just receive it as our own. Lord, I pray that we will remember who you are, and we will remember that you know our name. In Jesus' name, amen.